So safety is a very important Jewish value. It's kind of a universal value. Most people believe in being safe. Not everyone for some reason, but most people do. But the Torah requires us to be safe. And there are a number of different details to safety and health in Judaism. In other words, a number of different commandments that all involve safety and health. But firstly, the Torah forbids us from hurting or harming another person. Torah says you're not allowed to hurt someone. We're forbidden from hurting another person. Now, this prohibition not to harm another person applies even if the other person lets you harm them. So even if someone says, hit me, you're not allowed to hit them. Even if they tell you to harm them, you're not allowed to harm them. Why not? No one has the right to tell you to harm them. Because we don't own ourselves. People think that it's me, I can do whatever I want to myself. No, you cannot do whatever you want to yourself. Your body, and as we'll see in a moment, it's not just your body, but your body it belongs to God. It is on loan to you from God. So you don't have the right to give someone permission to harm you. And in the same manner, you have no right to harm yourself. It's not yours, your body, that you should have the right to harm yourself. So just as we are forbidden from hurting another person, we are forbidden from hurting ourselves. The Torah forbids us not only from hurting people, we're forbidden from causing people pain, whether physical pain, you're not allowed to, even if you didn't hurt them, you cannot do something, burn their nails, do something that doesn't actually hurt them, cause any damage, but hurt, but causes pain. You're not allowed to cause someone pain unnecessarily. And so we're not allowed to cause ourselves pain unnecessarily, put ourselves in unnecessary pain. Not only that, the Torah forbids us from causing another person emotional distress. You're not allowed to insult someone. That is one of our 613 commandments. Lo tonu ishes et misot in next week's Parsha. You're not allowed to insult another person. So, if you cannot insult another person, we don't own ourselves either. We are on loan from God. You don't have the right to insult yourself either. So you don't have the right to hurt yourself. You don't have the right to cause yourself not only damage, but pain. You also don't have the right to insult yourself or embarrass yourself. Unnecessarily, of course. Sometimes you have to do certain things that are embarrassing, but you've got to do it. Sometimes you've got to ask someone forgiveness. It might be very uncomfortable. You've got to do uncomfortable things all the time. But you cannot unnecessarily embarrass yourself or insult yourself. Because we, not just our bodies, but our person, is on loan to us from God. It doesn't belong to us. What right do you have to hurt something that God created? And so therefore, we're forbidden from harming ourselves in any way, forbidden from causing ourselves emotional harm, forbidden from causing ourselves pain, physical pain, emotional pain, emotional harm, in unnecessarily in any way. We're forbidden from doing so, just as we would be forbidden from harming another person in the same way. The Torah further tells us Lo ta'amod, it's going to be next week's parsha as well. Lo ta'amod al dam Do not stand by your fellow's blood. So if another person is in danger, you're not allowed to just stand by and watch. Today when somebody's in danger, somebody's being hit, beaten, someone's being hurt, everybody pulls out their cell phones and starts to video. You're not allowed to do that. You have to step in and save them. You see somebody in trouble, the Torah forbid, requires us to step in and help them. 
Not only if a person is in trouble, even if their items are in trouble. You see, their animal is in trouble. Or today we would say their car is in trouble. You can't keep going. You've got to stop and you've got to help them. You see somebody lost an, an object. Um, it's going to also be in next week's parsha. We have to return any lost objects that a person may have lost. So if anybody um, is in any danger whatsoever or facing any harm whatsoever, we must step in and help them. You can't stand by. You must step in and help them. Now, because we don't own ourselves, if we ourselves are in danger, you cannot just sit there. You've got to get up and save yourself. You have to go help yourself. We don't own ourselves. So we have a response, just as you have a responsibility to help another person in trouble, can't just stand by and watch. The same way if I'm in trouble, I can't just stand by. i got to be proactive and save myself. So whenever we are in danger, we are required to step up and save ourselves, get ourselves out of danger. Now, if you have to get yourself out of danger you definitely are forbidden from ever putting yourself in danger. All those people that like to do exotic things that put themselves in severe danger, you're not allowed to do it. You cannot do anything that will put yourself in severe danger. What kind of things do people do? People play with wild animals that can harm themselves or people who jump out of planes or um, anything that is dangerous. Anything that's dangerous, you're not allowed to do it. Even if you want to do it. Not only if someone's in danger, you have to save them. But you're not allowed to put yourself in danger. You're not allowed to do anything that will place yourself in danger. Sorry? No, I'm going to say, he says people who do it anyway. I know that, but we're not allowed to do it. We're not allowed to do it, exactly. We're not allowed to do anything um, that will put ourselves in danger, no matter what it is. If it puts ourselves, we'll soon define exactly what they, how we define danger. But you cannot put yourself in danger. Any kind of extreme sports or extreme activities that is dangerous, if your mother says it's dangerous, don't do it, even if she's no longer around. Right? You're not allowed to do things that are dangerous. If you're in danger, you're required to save yourself, then you definitely, you're not allowed to put yourself in danger. Definitely not put somebody else in harm's way. Definitely not put somebody else in danger. The Torah further tells us that if someone has a flat roof on their home, and they did back in those days, I think they still do in the Middle East or those parts of the world, you have a flat roof on your house and you use the roof. The roof is one of the rooms in the house that you use. You put things on there, you spend time up there on the roof. You have uh, steps to go up to the roof and you spend time on the roof. The Torah says you must place a fence around that roof so that nobody falls down. We don't want anyone falling off the roof. So this mitzvah... It's one of the 613 commandments to place a fence on your roof if you use your roof. You have to place a fence on your roof. Today it would be a porch. You have a porch. You have to make sure there's a good fence that nobody will fall off. But our sages say this is not just about a fence on a roof. This is telling us any hazard that you have in your house, you're not allowed to have any hazards whatsoever. You're, if there's a, a ditch in your yard, got to cover it, both for others and for yourself. You don't know that you may one time be absent-minded and fall in it, even if you're very careful. You have anything dangerous in your home or in your control, you must make sure to fix it. The brakes on your car are not working well, you got to make sure to fix it, whatever it may be. Anything that you have that's dangerous, you've got to make sure not to have any hazards whatsoever. Or, sorry? To you and other people. For, you. for yourself and for... You have to protect yourself too. 
not just others, for yourself and other people. You don't have the right to put yourself in danger. You don't have the right to have hazards in your home or in some way that you, that you can control. You cannot have hazards that are dangerous to yourself, even if you're careful. You, sh- you cannot have any hazards. For that matter, our sages said that a person cannot have a wild animal in their home. Cannot raise people that like raising exotic animals. You cannot do that. That's dangerous. You have a hazard in your home. It may get out somehow. Not worth the risk. Even if you take all the precautions. Not worth the risk. They said also a, um, a, a dangerous dog. A dog that attacks people. Don't have it in your home. Except, there's an exception. For security you can. You can have a dangerous dog for security. Uh, the military can have dogs that are trained to attack people. But normally a dog that's, that would attack, don't have it in your home. A tame dog that doesn't hurt anyone is fine. But a dog that has a history, that's attacked people multiple times, don't have it. Can't have such a dog. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it makes sense not to have it, though. But it's a mitzvah. Now, not only may we, must, may we not hurt ourselves in any way, can we not put ourselves in danger in any way, we also, as we said, we cannot have any hazards in our home. In addition, we also have a requirement to keep ourselves healthy. The Torah tells us, you must guard yourself, your souls. In this week's parsha, it says you must live by the commandments. So you must keep yourself healthy. From here we learn that we must not only avoid danger, but we must take steps to protect our health. And we're forbidden from doing anything that will harm our health. Now here, it's important to understand that there's a little bit of a difference between things that are definitely going to harm our health and things that could harm our health. And I'll give you some examples. So, for example, if a person drinks something poisonous, or something that would definitely cause them severe harm that is absolutely forbidden, it will harm your health. You are forbidden from doing so. I think we can say that safely today. Um, A person who smokes, we know smoke, even in a small amount um, of cigarette smoke, um, can cause some pretty severe health problems. It, chances of smoke causing health problems is extremely high, higher than 50%. Um, and so therefore we can say smoking is something that is fairly dangerous, unsafe, and a person should not smoke. One can say a similar thing about ingesting various, um, various drugs that um, cause significant harm. Um, to get into specific drugs is a subject of its own, we once did a class on marijuana. Um, I'm not going to get into it now. But definitely um, other um, hallucinatory drugs are definitely not, and mind-altering drugs um, are definitely harmful for your health, and you definitely should avoid them. What about eating a juicy piece of steak or a hamburger? Is it bad for your health? Well, one hamburger is not going to kill you. Sorry? Neither is one steak. So there, the specific thing is not going to harm you. So there's no prohibition to eat steak or to eat hamburgers. There's no prohibition to eat foods that in large amounts are unhealthy. In fact, every single food in large amounts are unhealthy. Just about every food. So... um, Food in large amounts, period, is unhealthy. So, so any food in large amounts, so while a person should make an effort 
to be careful what food they eat. There's no particular requirement or prohibition to eat particular foods because they're unhealthy. If they're dangerous, we're forbidden from eating them, we're forbidden from digesting them, from using them, if they're harmful to our bodies. Even if they're not going to kill us, if they're just going to harm us and hurt us, that's enough of a reason to avoid them. But if they are not going to directly harm us, if we eat a lot of it, if we eat it continuously, it will harm us, we're not forbidden from eating it. We just have to eat it in measure within a reasonable amount. Of course, this is nothing to do with the laws of kosher. This is just for the laws of health, of keeping ourselves healthy. So we are also required to take all steps. The Torah also commands us, verapo yirape. If somebody is sick, they are required to seek medical healing. There are others, religions or belief systems that believe that a person should not seek healing. They should um, just rely on God to heal them. We don't believe that. The Torah says that when you are sick, you should seek healing. God created means of healing in order for us to heal ourselves when sick. So we should take steps to heal ourselves from medical ailments. And we are required to do so. If a person is sick, you can't say, well, it's all right. I'm not going to bother taking any steps to heal myself. No, you are required to take all steps necessary to heal yourself. Now, sometimes, or often actually, when a person has a medical problem, every solution comes with side effects and other risks involved. And then it requires somewhat of balancing, and it's a case-by-case, right? Balancing the ailment. It may be your life is in danger. It may be just something that makes you uncomfortable or that limits your ability to function. It might be something that causes you pain. Each ailment is different. And you've got to balance that, the possible ways you can heal yourself with the possible risks and the side effects. It's a balance. Not always is the best thing for yourself to heal yourself. It can be that for you or for the individual, the, the method of, of the, the medical solution is worse than the problem or holds higher risk than the problem. It may not always be worth it. For that, you need medical experts to take that decision as to whether or not it is greater risk to solve it or greater, or may, may just be worth leaving it. It may cause you greater harm, greater pain, greater discomfort to heart to solve it than what you have right now. It may not always be worth solving. So, but we should take all steps, though, to um, heal ourselves, um, all reasonable steps to heal, to heal ourselves. Now, I should point out that and I'm involved locally in one of the hospitals here, and I have a very strong disagreement with the um, with the with the not I do the Torah disagrees with modern medicine. And this is very important because we're all going to have loved ones that are going to end up in hospital one day. Then the last 20, 30 years, there's a new um, medical theory or medical ethics runs on the belief of patient autonomy. Patient autonomy basically means the doctors are told they should never tell you what to do. Once upon a time, the old doctors used to tell you everything, what to do, and never explained anything to you, and were very paternalistic. Nowadays, it's gone to the other extreme. The doctors are never allowed to tell you what to do. They can only give you the advice. They tell you, you choose whatever you want to do, we'll do whatever you want. And so while once upon a time the doctors had a Hippocratic Oath where they had to take steps to heal you, if a person says, I don't want to heal, I want to be sick, the doctors say, okay, that's fine. Is that what you don't agree with? Yes. The doctors today will tell you, and the ethicists in the hospital will say, that's fine, patient autonomy. 
You want to be sick? You have the right to be sick. You don't want to take medication? You have the right not to take medication. You don't want to go through a procedure that has a very, very high chance of healing you um, when the risks not to take it are much, much, much higher. That's fine. That's what they'll tell you today in hospital. Um, and often, if the rabbi steps in or even family steps in and tries to convince the patient that they're being irrational, which sometimes happens because a person's in pain or a person's uncomfortable or afraid. Sometimes we make irrational decisions. We try to convince them it's irrational. It's not a good idea. Say, no, you can't. Don't tell them anything. Let them decide. And that's a mistake. Now, you can't force somebody to do something they don't want to because it's going to be counterproductive. We can't do so. But we can tell them that the Torah and God requires you to take all steps necessary to heal yourself. There are times where it's not worth taking any medical interventions because the medical interventions carry higher risk or as high risk or greater pain than what you're going through already. But when there is, and sometimes it's a little bit gray, sometimes it's not clear, right? Then, then you've got to sometimes make your own decision because you've got to make an informed decision. But when it is clear that a person should take certain medical steps to heal themselves, then it is up to the individual to take those steps to heal themselves. And you don't have the right to say, I'm too tired, I'm not ready for it, I'm afraid to do it. It doesn't matter. God says, the Torah says, you need to take, you don't own your body. You don't have the right not to heal yourself. If the right thing to do right now is to heal yourself, you are required to do so. How does that relate to a DNR? A DNR, do not resuscitate. How does that relate to a DNR? That is a very good question. I'm glad you brought it up. So a person writes, do not resuscitate on their driver's license or in a medical, um, in a medical um, request. Um, so it really depends. And with medicine, it's really case by case. And every doctor will tell you that it's case by case. For a young, healthy person, to put a DNR in their medical request is very, a very, very bad idea. Because, and anybody who respects that DNR is also a very bad idea. Because um, any young, healthy person who unfortunately went through some episode that caused them to stop breathing, um, can usually be resuscitated and get back to life healthy and hearty, and it would be a terrible thing for them to end their lives early. And such DNRs are misguided and wrong um, and really against our Torah values. People say, I would never want to live a life where I'm immobile. You hear that often from healthy people. Well, the reality is that most people, when they get to that stage where they are immobile, want to continue living. Even if earlier they said, I would never want to live a life where I'm immobile, when people actually, most people, not everyone, but most people, when they actually get to the stage they're immobile, they do want to continue living. But that's really not relevant, because whether you want to continue living or not doesn't matter. It's up to Hashem. He's the one that gave you your body. He decides how long you live. And so therefore you have a requirement, an ethical requirement to keep your life going if you are young and healthy. Now, somebody who already is very, very weak and their heart is very weak, and this is a case-by-case -case basis, somebody who's already very weak and they've already had multiple heart failings in the past, and their, 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 their life expectancy is not very high. For such an individual, resuscitating them likely will not help very much, at least in the long term, what we call chayesha, very temporary life. And it will not, um, and it, and, and it will not really, it will only cause them greater pain. It won't necessarily extend their life. And so for such a person, a do not resuscitate at such a point um, may be a very reasonable thing. And the truth is that even without a DNR in such a state, most medical personnel will not resuscitate if they know the person's condition. 
because at a certain point, you're just going to cause more harm. You'll kill them by trying to resuscitate them. I was told, though, that you have to. You, you, you have to do anything, everything you can to, 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 make, to save a Jewish person. We do everything we can to save a person, but there are some limits when, a per, when that life is, when they're not going to live much longer. We don't necessarily have to do everything we can. Yes. There are different levels, and I don't want to get into the medical question of when to resuscitate and when not to. I think it's a class of its own on medical ethics today, but I, the point that Don brought up, I think for a healthy person, we don't have the right and for a regular person to decide that if ever I stop breathing for some reason, my heart stops for some reason, I don't want to continue. That's, we don't have the right to make that decision. Um, for that matter, there are a person, because a person is... well. So what we've learned is that we don't own our bodies at all. So we're forbidden from causing ourselves any physical, emotional harm. We're forbidden from causing ourselves any unnecessary pain, physical or emotional pain embarrassing ourselves. We're forbidden from ever putting ourselves in danger. And when in danger, we are required to take every step to save ourselves. We're forbidden from having any hazards in our home. We have to be careful to avoid hazards that can harm ourselves. And we have to keep ourselves healthy. And when sick, we are required to heal ourselves. Now, a lot of this is common sense. This is what, the way people feel generally, but not always. These, but these are Torah requirements. The Torah requires us to do all these things based on the principle we don't own ourselves. We do not own our bodies. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Our bodies and our persons are on loan to us from God. For that matter, I should mention, we also don't have the right to destroy our property. The Torah forbids destruction, you don't have the right to destroy your own property either. It's not yours to destroy. Uh, even if it's, it's, it's not, if you say it's yours, you don't have the right to destroy. So we're forbidden from putting ourselves in danger, must save ourselves from danger. How do we define danger? Now just being alive is dangerous. Sitting here in this room is dangerous because the roof can fall down on us at any time. It just happened recently at Target when it rained. The roof fell down. Yeah. Okay, roofs fall down. Wherever you go, you go outside. A branch can fall on your head. Wherever you are, you are in danger. Everything you are doing, you are in danger. So how do you measure danger? danger. How dangerous can you walk into a building? How dangerous is dangerous? So there's no probability number you could put on danger. If we would put a probability number, say every time there is one in a million chance that you die, don't do it. Oh, that, go try to figure out the probabilities of every single thing you're doing. It's impossible to do. There's no way to put a probability number on danger. So rather, but halacha, Jewish law, is very definitive. And we've learned this in a number of different subjects. Jewish law is always very definitive. It always gives you very clear definitions. So our definition for danger is not something that can be defined by probabilities. It's rather something that is defined by public consciousness. In other words, anything that people are concerned about because they would consider it dangerous. As I said, anything that your mother said, don't do, it's dangerous, don't do. It's dangerous. So anything that is we, we perceive, society perceives as dangerous, don't do. It's a dangerous thing, don't do it. We call it dangerous, don't do it. Car racing, it's dangerous. We all know it's dangerous. Don't, don't do it, right? It's dangerous. Um, jumping out of planes, it's dangerous. 
Don't do it. We all know it's dangerous. Everyone considers it dangerous. Before you do it, you sign your life over. It's dangerous. Some people like to do dangerous They'd like to do dangerous things. God doesn't let them. Okay. They're breaking his rules. It's not their body to put at risk. They don't have the right to put it at risk. So anything that people would be considered consider risky and people would avoid doing because they consider it dangerous. Why, anything that's widely considered dangerous, don't do because it's dangerous. Now, perceptions on this change. 50 years ago, driving without a seatbelt was not considered dangerous. Everybody did it. Today, driving without a seatbelt is considered dangerous. Riding a bike without a helmet 50 years ago was not considered dangerous. Today, riding a bike without a helmet is considered dangerous. People do it. Don't do it. Your mother wouldn't let you go out on rollerblades or on a bike without a helmet, on a skateboard. Don't do it. It's dangerous. It's a level of danger, of a risk that there's no need to assume. So don't do it. Any extreme sports, bungee jumping, they're dangerous. Your mother wouldn't let you do it. It's dangerous. It's consi they're considered dangerous. Don't do it. Even things like um, traveling on um, one-engine planes or planes that are not very um, planes that don't ha that are not very secure. Don't do it. Um, you um, don't try it unless you live on a tiny island maybe um, where you have to. But you shouldn't do it because it, these things are considered dangerous. For that matter, surgery is considered dangerous. Every time you go under uh, when you need a general anesthetic, it is dangerous. Now, surgery that is necessary, we'll get to necessary things in a moment. But if it's unnecessary, don't do it. What about things that are necessary? What about dangerous things that are necessary? What about going in a car? Is going in a car considered dangerous? Would you consider it can be dangerous? Going on a freeway, is it dangerous? Is it dangerous? Yes. How about flying on a plane? Is flying in a plane considered dangerous? It's actually pretty, I think planes are less risky than cars. But is flying on a plane dangerous? So our sages said something very interesting. In Psalms it says, Shomer Ptayim Hashem. God guards the fools. Fools that put themselves in danger. God protects them. What do we mean by that? You are forbidden from putting yourself in danger. So what do we mean? There are certain things that carry a certain level risk, but we do it because that's part of regular life. An example. In, old, in ancient times, when a person would travel the seas, they traveled on sailboats. That's all they had. Sailboats on the sea, on the open ocean, or in the open seas. They were very dangerous. There were risk of storms. Boats couldn't always hold up against storms. There was risk of pirates on the seas. It was dangerous. So much so that when a person got to dry land, they had to bring a special sacrifice, thanking God for, allowing, for helping them survive the seas. Or crossing the desert was very dangerous. You cross a desert... You were always at risk of bandits. You would have to cross with a caravan. You were always at risk of running out of food or water, losing your way. There was always risk involved. It was a dangerous thing. So much so that when you got to out of the desert, you would have to bring a special sacrifice, thanking God for your survival. And yet, you are allowed to do it. Why are you allowed to cross the sea and cross the desert? It's dangerous. Because that is part of normal life. Normal commerce, normal travel requires you to cross the sea and cross the desert. So therefore our sages say, any activity that is part of regular normal 
activities that everybody does, normal life, that people, what we could call assumed risk, risk that is widely accepted. We know it's risky, but we do it anyway. Everyone does it. Those things you are allowed to do, don't worry about it. So driving on a freeway, well, you want to get around L.A., you can't get around L.A. without driving on a freeway. No problem. That's an assumed risk. You can do it. Driving, flying a car, uh, flying on a plane, there's a danger to it, but you can't travel. You need to get around. It's okay. You could fly planes. It's an assumed risk. So any common risk that is widely done um, and assumed and considered part of regular normative life, even if there is some level danger to it, you are allowed to do it. But if it is not part of regular life, like bungee jumping, or flying out of, jumping out of planes, or car racing, not part of regular life, you don't need it. Don't do it. It's not part of what people normally do. So surgeries, that's part of assumed risk. You want to keep yourself healthy, you want to keep yourself well. Firstly, often you'll be healthier with the surgery than the risk that the surgery involves. But it's also it's an assumed risk that we take all the time. Unnecessary surgery should be avoided. If you don't need the surgery, it's not necessary. Avoid it. It's also it's not worth the risk. But necessary surgery is going to help you, help you avoid pain, help you become more mobile, definitely going to help your health. Definitely, that's something that you should do. There's another exception to when a person is... There's a few more exceptions. So firstly, a person... So while we should avoid anything that's considered risky, anything that's widely considered risky, don't do it. But if it's something that's an assumed risk, everybody does it. Going on boats, going on planes, going in cars on freeways, don't worry about it. That's fine. Um... I would add, perhaps today, we could have the same thing. People wonder, uh, we've become very conscious of infectious disease. It's thanks to COVID in the last two years. And the reality is that there was always infectious disease and people always died from infectious disease. It's always been around. Not as bad as COVID, but we've always had it. And the truth is, every time you are in a crowd, every time you're around other people, you run the risk of infectious disease. But it's generally an assumed risk, except at a time of extreme danger, like when there's a pandemic. But once people are not dying left and right, and once the pandemic is reasonably over, where people are not dying all the time, um, then what happens is, in a normal time, a non-pandemic time, then the, um, for most people, except for somebody for whom it's an extreme danger, um, say somebody who has no immune system, somebody who's going through chemotherapy, but for most people, when um, the infectious disease is part of the assumed risk of life. It's like driving a car. You drive a car, it's a risk. You get it, go around people, you mix with people, it's a risk. It's part of life. You're not going to ever be around people. There's always going to be infectious disease. It's not going to disappear as long as people are always congregating. We'll always be infecting each other with diseases. So it's a certain level of assumed risk that we're allowed to take. That's okay, so long as it's not an extreme risk. So in a time when there's a pandemic, when people are dying, a lot of people are dying, then um, uh, the, when a lot of people are dying, uh, one after the next, then, and there's ways we define pandemics halachically, but when a lot of people are dying, then we should definitely not be around people. But once the pandemic, when there's no pandemic, there's always an assumed risk of infectious disease being around other people. So that's one exception to danger. You're allowed to take dangerous, you're allowed to do dangerous things or things that have some level risk if it is part of regular life. And if it's what we call assumed risk, things that are widely done. Yes, and I'm going to get to that. Very good question. What about war? There's another exception. That we are allowed to take greater risk for work, for your job. 
The Torah says about your job, a person gives their life over to their job. That means that we should be dedicated in our job. But our sages say it also means that you're allowed to take greater risk for jobs. Why is that? Well, you got to live life. We need a functioning society. There are certain risky jobs that need to be done. Somebody's got to do it. So the example our sages give is you're allowed to climb a tree. If you are um, a tree trimmer or um, picking fruit, you're allowed to climb a tree. There's a certain risk of climbing a high tree, but you're allowed to, you're allowed to do it. You're allowed to be involved in construction, build a home, even though that requires climbing up high, standing on walls, standing in dangerous spot on roofs that are not fully built, a lot of danger involved. You're allowed to do it. It's your job. That's okay. So people that are allowed to take risky jobs, um, so long as they take whatever precautions they can to keep it as safe as possible, they're allowed to take risky jobs. Now today you need window washers. You're allowed to have a window washer. There's a danger to it. But somebody's got to wash the windows or we'll end up with dirty windows. You're allowed to have crane operators that operate cranes. It's dangerous. Someone's got to do it. So there are many jobs out there that carry a certain level of risk. It's okay to have a risky job because for, your, for a job because in order for society to function as a society, we need to, be, we need to allow ourselves a certain level of risk. There's another exception. You're allowed to put yourself in danger to protect yourself and others. So you're allowed to serve as a guard or have a guard, even though that's a dangerous job. You're allowed to be a police officer. It's dangerous, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to keep the bad guys at bay, protect everybody else. You're allowed to be military. A nation is allowed to protect themselves, is allowed to defend themselves. And not only is allowed to, is required to. We are required to defend ourselves. So therefore, you are allowed to be involved in danger when it comes to self-defense. When it comes to defending yourself, your family, your community, your country, you're definitely allowed to defend yourself. So you are then allowed to put yourself in danger. There is one other exception uh, when a person can put themselves in danger or even risk their lives or even give up their lives. And that is, and it's a subject of its own, so I'm not going to get into detail, that is when the Torah requires us to do so. The Torah says that if somebody threatens you to change your religion, give up Judaism, convert to another religion, or they will kill you, you got to be ready to die. For that matter, if somebody says, kill somebody else, or I will kill you, you've got to die rather than kill somebody else. Really? Yeah. And for that matter, the Torah says further that if somebody is threatened with a sexual crime um, or commit a sexual crime or I will kill you, again, allow yourself to die rather than um, commit that sexual crime. So all of these are, the Torah tells us, better die than, or put your life in danger, better than transgress. In the same way, in a period when they are trying to destroy Judaism, when they want to, what we call shemad, when they want to destroy Judaism, we are required to better risk our lives, uh, to better put our lives in danger than to abandon Judaism. So, the, so in addition to all the above, our sages say that there are certain things that we are forbidden from doing because they are because of danger. Some of these things have an obvious, clear danger. Some examples are sages listed. Don't go under a ladder. Don't walk on a rickety bridge. It might fall. Don't go into a run-down building. It can collapse at any time. Don't drink water without looking at the water first. 
there might be bugs in it. Don't drink water left overnight. Right? We know today there could be bacteria in it, right? If it's left open overnight. Don't drink water left in a metal cup. Right? It gets rust in it. Don't cut something onto your hands. Right? Don't cut something onto you, you're gonna cut your hands. Right? So these are things that our sages said not to do. Commonsensical things to avoid danger, to protect ourselves. These are commonsensical things. Then they gave us a list of a number of things that they said don't do because of danger, but not physical danger. This is what we could call a spiritual danger or a paranormal danger where there's some sort of spiritual force that can harm us if we do these things. Not because of any physical danger, there's no medical reason for them or physical reason not to do these things, but there is a spiritual harm, or a spiritual force that can cause us physical harm if we do these things. They told us not to mix meat and fish. Now normally the Torah says not to mix meat and milk. Right? We're forbidden, we have separate meat and milk. But our sages said not to eat meat and fish together because it causes danger. Now there's no known physical danger or medical dangers that come from meat and fish together, but it's what we call a skula. It is a paranormal or a spiritual force that can cause us harm by eating meat and fish together. And that is why Jews always had meals with two different courses. First we serve the fish, and then we serve the meat in the next course. Um, And that comes from because we don't want to mix the fish and the meat together. We never cook them together. We don't eat them together on the same plate for that reason. They also said not to eat things in even numbers. So when making eggs, we never make an even number of eggs. We always make an odd number of eggs. Never eat things in even numbers. They also said not to eat not to not to eat onions that were open and left overnight not to cut up onions pieces of onion that were open and left overnight not to eat them they did. onions onions yes unless you leave the skin on if you have a piece of onion always leave cut half leave the skin on then that's okay but if you only have a piece of the onion taken out left overnight not to eat it um they further said they further said not to eat shelled eggs, right? You shell it once you peel an egg, peel a hard-boiled egg, you leave it overnight. If it's left overnight, not to eat shelled eggs. Shelled. Left overnight. Oh, you, do you mean without the shell on? Without the shell, without the shell. Without the shell. Yes. Yes, and leave the shell. That's fine. Yes, and it. What's the reason for that? Well, they didn't mention refrigeration. They didn't have that. Well, don't shell it. Just leave the shell on. Then our sages also forbade us from eating. I'm just giving you a few examples. Forbade us from eating food that was placed under someone who was sleeping. So if the food was under someone's bed while they were sleeping on it, on top of the food, we should not eat that food. Again, there's no, physical, there's no measurable danger that we can explain, but this is what we call a skula. It is a spiritual impact that can cause us harm. Our sages also said, a person should never wish bad on another person. Never say, I hope this horrible thing happens to you, or to so-and-so. Even if you really don't like that person, and even if that person really deserves it. 
Because firstly, your words have an impact, both on the person, and when we did a class on the power of words, we spoke about how words have a direct impact. They also have an impact on ourselves. When we wish harm on another person, it causes that harm to come back and reflect. It's a spiritual thing, but it causes it to come back and impact ourselves. So never, even if you dislike someone and they really caused you harm and they really hurt you, don't wish them harm. Don't wish something bad happened to them, that they go get hit by a truck or whatever else you may wish for them. Don't say that, because it will come back to you as well. Don't say anything bad. Your words have an impact. Okay, so we just, whatever they say to us, we just keep our mouths shut. Is that what you're trying to yes. say? That's impossible. <laughs> so the truth is that we believe that ultimately God is in control. God controls what happened to us, happens to us. Whether we survive, whether we don't survive, whether we're healthy, we're unhealthy, ultimately God has the final say. God is the one who's in control. And that's why sometimes people, someone one time called me and said, Rabbi, it's not fair. I have been so healthy my whole life. This is a person who was a health nut and always ate very healthy and exercised two hours every day and was obsessed with their health. And then they got cancer. They said, it's not fair. I did everything right. But when you, isn't it when you're born, God has always decided? So right? I, ta- I, ta- I said, I'll tell you the truth. There's no guarantees. It all is up to Hashem. God decides. You could do everything right and it could still, you could get sick. There's no rules that because you did everything you were supposed to, everything's going to happen the way you expect. It doesn't work like that. Everything is unexpected. You never know what's going to happen. You do your best. So ultimately it's up to Hashem. However, we believe, our sages say, Satan sakana. When a person is, puts themselves in danger, God judges them. So in other words... While everything is ultimately up to God, and whether you live or die is up to God, but God often, when you put yourself in a dangerous situation or do something that you shouldn't be doing, God says, let me take another look at you. Maybe you don't deserve to live. Maybe you don't deserve to be healthy. Maybe you don't deserve to be well. So when you do, when you do something that puts yourself in danger or that harms yourself, you add a certain level of scrutiny to yourself. And so it, leads, it can lead to more harm. And so therefore, while ultimately we don't, even if we're very healthy, ultimately God is in control. He's the one who decides what happens to us. However, we have the, that requirement to do our best to try to keep ourselves as healthy and as safe as we possibly can. And when we keep ourselves safe, then hopefully, and of course... Pray to God as well, because we need His help. Without Him, we can't stay healthy. Hopefully, God will keep us healthy as well. So I thank you for...